This is Professor Raymond Noby, Department of Ancient History, log entry number two. I believe I have made a significant find in the castle of Cantor. Having journeyed there with my wife, Henrietta, my daughter, Annie, and associate professor, Ed Gettler. It was in the rear chamber of the castle. We stumbled upon something remarkable. Once again, you ask the same shit you ask every week. But I'll indulge you, you creepy English tart. I'm here for my weekly stash of Teddy Mags, my favorite taco bar in the whole wide world, Toblerone, and my lotto tickets. <gasps> Who found a shingle? I have one! Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z. I am your host, Derek Carey. And on this episode, you're going to hear from a couple of the directors of the Witchcraft films. We were lucky enough to get Ron Ford, who directed Part 11, to record us a little bit, explaining his thoughts and feelings and experiences through making that film. And then I had a huge interview last night with Brad Sykes, the director of Part 12. And uh, he's very candid. It's a great interview. So hopefully you guys really dig this. It was really fun getting a hold of these guys and actually hearing from somebody that made this stuff. Just a little side note, the audio on the Brad Sykes interview, the recorder I was using for some reason for the first half of the interview was beeping at us just very arbitrarily and periodically so i've edited most of it out but there's a couple of them left in there because it obscured some stuff that brad was saying and i wanted to keep that stuff in there so please when you hear that that's what's going on i'm not trying to censor brad in any way so here we go first person you're going to hear is ron ford i hope you guys enjoy this episode All right, I came involved in the Witchcraft series because I had uh, made some films for Jerry Pfeiffer of, uh, God, what was the name of the company? Vista Street Entertainment. He uh, had this project to make, which was a, uh, had Korean investors, and they wanted to do a total ripoff of The Terminator with a lot of sex and nudity in it, called Turburator, in which they planned to use uh, actual effects from Terminator, and they just needed the dramatic scenes to cut in with that. So Jerry set me up to direct that. I told him I would direct this thing, which required new girls on set every day. I had absolutely no budget. It was a nightmare. Uh, the script was awful, and I, I had these uh, Korean investors breathing down my neck. Uh, he said, if you could pull off this, I told him I wanted to do a witchcraft movie, and I wanted to do it in film. Everything I'd made before that was, uh, was on digital video. So he said, I could have that project if I succeeded with this uh, turburator thing. And I did. I got it done. Uh, we had beautiful girls, new ones on set every day. I scrambled my ass <laughs> trying to get that thing done. It was just, it was just a, a putrid script. I hated it. I, I used a fake name on it, Matt Cobb, uh, because it had a rape scene in it. And, uh, and the girl goes back to the guy for more afterwards because, because she's so... You know, she she was so enamored of of the 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 strong male man who came in and took her. It was it was really an offensive, disgusting project, and uh, so I didn't use my name. I did it. Uh, I, I you know I probably should be ashamed of myself, but I did make this freaking thing, and uh, I got the job to do witchcraft. Jerry himself um, used all the footage we shot and made two different movies out of them. Uh, one of them was called Red Light Stalker. None of them made any sense. Anyway, so I got the job doing Witchcraft 11. I was not a fan of the series, and uh, it seemed like most of them were about vampires rather than witches. Uh, so I wanted to go back to, to Witchcraft and uh, do something that had a little more elegant storytelling than just being all over the place and just about sex and different effects. Uh, so with my theatrical background, I came up with the idea to, to set it in a drama department that these girls would be uh, drama students being manipulated by a Satanist uh, drama instructor. So we somewhat paralleled the Macbeth story uh, to, you know, to a very slight degree, you know, uh, very loosely. 
But it has that underpinning. It has a Shakespearean underpinning, and uh, the story was at least, you know, had a beginning, middle, and an end, and through line and stuff. Uh, I did have nudity requirements. Jerry wanted what he called a love scene every 15 minutes, which means softcore sex with lots of boobs. So uh, we did that, put that in there, and, uh, you know, the movie, the story just stops dead at every one of those scenes. But, you know, that's, that's the nature of this series. That's what I had to deliver. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, I had a, a lot of freedom. Jerry didn't really, he didn't, he, he thought it was neat that it had Shakespeare underpinnings, but I wanted to call it uh, Witchcraft 11, The Weird Sisters, which is, you know, what the, the three witches are called in Macbeth. Uh, he didn't understand. He said, that's, that's just dumb, weird, weird sisters. We're going to call it Sisters in Blood. So I gave it this really generic title. But anyway, uh, otherwise I had quite a bit of freedom. Um, he, uh, he came in at one point, said I had to shoot this scene where the instructor is taking pictures of the, the girls topless for a, for, a, to, for a poster for this college play. And I was like, well, it doesn't really make any sense. You know, there's nothing in the script to set that up. So how do they know that's what he's shooting? And uh, don't you think it would be kind of against the college rules for the instructor to be taking nude photos of uh, his students? But anyway, Jerry just came into the studio when we were shooting and said, we're stopping what we're doing right now. We were in the middle of doing something else, and, and we're going to shoot this photography scene. So we did. And, uh, you know, as I thought, it didn't make any sense in the movie. But there it is. Uh, we also went for a whole lot more gore. We're at, Jerry wasn't real comfortable with that, but, you know, I wanted to make a horror movie. Um, so we did. We had some pretty extreme gore in it, and, and he left it all in. That was, uh, that was to his credit, I thought. Our effects guy, Steve something, I can't remember his last name. He was a sweet kid. He was like 19 or 20, and he just had really imaginative shit. He just... Uh, threw things together with, with what he had and, 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 you know, very little expense and, and made these really impressive-looking uh, effects and, and uh, witch creatures, which he played the, uh, the ghosty witches uh, in several scenes himself. Um, very, very sad. It, uh, before we'd even finished cutting the film, he committed suicide. They found him in his... His mother found him in his closet, hanging. Uh, and that was devastating. So we de dedicated the film to him. If you look at the end of the credits, there's his name. Um, what else? Uh, I didn't have any say in the editing. There are a couple of shots in there where you can see boom shadows and stuff like that. I had taken alternate uh, takes, and uh, but the the editor was couldn't be bothered to to find the right takes and you know do it properly. Uh, and I didn't. I wasn't allowed in the editing room for some reason. Uh, I wanted to have a bigger part in the movie. I'm. I'm. I, I like to think of myself as an actor. But Jerry just goes, "No, you're not an actor. You're a director." So, so I was relegated to being a, an extra. You know, one of the forensic guys in in one of the scenes. Uh, you, uh, you asked if I was obligated to use Lutz and Garner, and yes, I was. Uh, I was happy to do that because McCool and Stephanie were both pretty good friends of mine. Um, and uh, they were a lot of fun to work with, always. Everybody on the cast was, was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, so there was a nudity quota. Budget, you asked about, I, I'm not exactly sure what the final budget was. I think it was about 40 grand. It was pretty cheap for what we did. I think it, uh, it looks pretty good for all of that. Um, the creature at the end, I had wanted a stop motion creature just because stop motion is cool. Uh, Jeff Leroy did one for me, but we didn't have the money and time to do it properly. It, it didn't look real good, which is not a, not a no slam on Jeff. He did the best he could with, with the time and the, and the budget. So what happened, this uh, Steve guy who did our effects, whose last name I still can't remember, he just threw uh, uh, something together and we shot it. I, I, I laid on the ground and shot it uh, using the sky as a blue screen. And uh, we were terrific, I thought. So um, that's it. That's my, that's my take on Witchcraft 11, and I hope some of this is useful for you. Thank you.
okay, we'll just, it hopefully it doesn't go over something super important about Witchcraft 12. I'd, I'd, I'd hate... <laughs> there are many, many important things to say about this film, let me tell you. I actually, I actually, I actually watched it uh, for the first time in probably 10 years uh, last night. In preparation for this, I, I, my poor wife had to sit sit through it with me. She was there when we were filming some of it, and she remembered certain things. I, I It was good for me. It kind of jogged my memory a bit about it. You know, I figured I might as well look at it again. How did it treat you rewatching it? You know, I actually didn't, like, hate it as much as I thought I would, because when we were making it, all I could think about was how compromised the production was. Mm-hmm. And I was also comparing it to the previous film, which it was a bigger movie than you know, they had more money on the part 11 than they did on, on mine. Mm-hmm. And I was around when they were shooting part 11. Uh, I was pretty aware of it. I knew pretty much all the cast and crew. So, so I was sort of comparing it to that, uh, unfavorably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was the big, cause I know Ron shot his, uh, installment on film. Uh, was there a reason why you preferred to shoot it or was it just a, a budgetary reason why you guys shot it on tape? It was definitely a budgetary thing. I mean, because I think there were... I have not seen all the witchcraft movies. I'll, I'll admit to that right now. Um, but most of them were shot on film. And mm-hmm. a couple of them were shot on video, though. There were a couple that were done in England, I think, that were shot on video. And and Ron's was on film, and and they just... By the time they got to part 12, they just... The budget just wasn't there for it. So we would have liked to have shot on film, but the executive producer was not interested in ponying up the the money for that. So I'm I'm guessing you're referring to Jerry Pfeiffer. Yes, yes. What was your relationship with him, and how did you get involved with the Witchcraft series? Boy, um, the first movie I directed for Vista Street, which was his company, was called Babes in the Woods. It was a erotic kind of like erotic comedy with cheerleaders, you know, getting lost in the woods. And anyway, um, that was the first movie I did for them. And I was brought in by this producer I was working with at the time. And he brought me in and, and Jerry approved. I had directed a few movies before that. And, and Jerry was was fine with Babes. So we did Babes. And then I did another movie called Mad Jack the same year. Actually, I directed it like a month and a month or a month and a half after Babes, which was an independent film where I basically brought some financing together uh, from out of state with Vista Street as like a partner. So we did that movie. And then a year, about a year or two later, I did this movie called Lord of the Vampires, another, another co-production. It was a, you know out-of-state investor matched with Jerry coming in as like a completion fund kind of thing. And then like a year later, I think, we did Witchcraft 12. So I had done three movies. I directed, wrote and directed three movies for Vista Street prior to to directing Witchcraft 12. What was uh, David Sterling's role in this production? Yeah, good question. (laughs) That's the question I keep asking myself, you know, even (laughs) even today. Um, No, I mean, he, I mean, look, to to be very, to be fair about it, I mean, he he had a relationship with Vista Street before I ever came into the picture. And, you know, he would do movies for them, you know, here and there, and he would usually bring directors in, and, you know, Jerry would have to approve them or whatever, and that was, like I said, he'd done a few things for them. So, you know, Witchcraft 11, he did that one. Um, so he had a relationship with them as a producer, and by the time of Witchcraft 12, Jerry also, you know, I had a relationship with Jerry as a director, because the films that that I did, Mad Jack and Lord of the Vampires, I mean... Dave has a credit on Mad Jack, but you know he really didn't have anything to do with that movie in terms of the the financing of the production and the and Lord of the Vampires. He was not involved at all, so I sort of had my own, uh, you know, I guess you could say with with Vista Street by that point. The witchcraft films obviously have a set formula through most of them. Were you given any rules, content-wise, as to what had to be in these films? You know, I, there was and there wasn't. Um, I'll be very honest. I mean, I think the, the the only things I really remember being told, like when they said, you know, we're going to make this movie and, and we want you to write and direct it, was they wanted, as a, in terms of the story, they wanted this character, Will Spanner, who is like a warlock that has appeared in the other films, I guess. I don't know if he's in all of the films, but he's in some of the other films, I guess. And 
you know, that was the only thing character-wise or story-wise I had to respect. And then I think that, the you know, there was obviously there was there had to be a certain number of sex scenes in the movie. Which, that was sort of a pre- <laughs> prerequisite for any almost any Vista Street film, no matter what the genre was. So those were the only things. And then apart from that, no, they did not really say, Jerry didn't really say, you know, uh, you got to have this, you got to have that. It was really just the character Will Spanner had to be there, and that was about it. So I was pretty much free to create my own storyline and my own, you know, cult that I created, the snake cult that I created, you know, all the other supporting characters and, and all that stuff. I mean, I, because, like, I've seen, I've seen a few of them. Like, I've seen, I know I have saw the first one and the second one, and I saw those, like, when they were kind of new, like when they were new right. on the video. And in fact, I even had a. This is kind of funny. Like when I was a teenager, I had a poster, a poster for Witchcraft Two on my wall. That's funny. It seems like the Witchcraft films predicated on that cover art in order to sell themselves. Especially with the. I mean, look, it was just a random thing because I was, you know, a, a, you know, in high school, and I was collecting movie posters from video stores. You know, like a, you know, a lot of people in my generation, and and that was one of the ones that I got, you know, from the local video store, and I put it up on the wall. Um, but, you know, that I know, you know, uh, however many years later I'd be directing one of these movies. They'd, they'd be 12 of them, for gosh sake. <laughs> uh, it'd be 10 more after that one, you know? Right. He had to be making a lot of money and profiting on these films to, to keep cranking them out year to year. For sure. I think he was. And, and what's interesting is that, you know, uh, the, the original, and you probably know this anyway, but the original, a lot of the first five or six or seven of them were distributed by other people. I mean... Vista Street didn't, they were a distributor as well as a production company, but they didn't start distributing the act, you know, the witchcraft movies till like, I don't know, part nine or ten or something like that. Right. So they were all handled by outside distributors, but yes, I'm sure they were making money on them and, and they were getting out there as, as, you know, they were, they hit the video boom with those, those films and, and they established that uh, brand, you know, that they created. Um, but then at the same time, what I would hear from people was that, they're all different. You know, every film was like a new movie, you know? Well, yeah. The the story, there was no real storyline that went the through any was, There was no continuity almost. So so when I did, like I said, when I did part 12, you know, or started to sit down to write part 12, I didn't feel like, you know, I had this, uh, I had to, to bring a bunch of characters or create storyline that was established in part one and had been going for 12 movies. I mean, I, and honestly, if you look at a lot of the franchises, the bigger, even some of the bigger franchises like Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th, obviously they go off on all kinds of tangents and send Jason into space and things like that, that, you know, they get to that point and they're just, they're not making sense anymore. They're just coming up with new scenarios. So uh, for me, it was, it was kind of liberating, honestly, to not have to like stick to a whole ton of specific, uh, specific guidelines or characters. Um, and I think a lot of them were shot in Los Angeles. That's one thing they have in common. I think they were, except for the ones that were shot in the U.K., all shot in L.A. So I share, <laughs> my film does share that with the other <laughs> <laughs> Now, speaking of something that your movie doesn't share with the rest of the series, let's talk about the cop characters Lutz and Garner. Now, was it a conscious decision that, that you decided you weren't going to carry on with those characters? Actually be, I will tell you that I, I was aware of those characters, and I asked Jerry if I could drop them. Um, because, you know, to me it was just one more way to kind of, like, free myself from having to repeat the, the things we've seen before. You know, when I was writing that movie, I was really thinking of noir movies. I was thinking mm-hmm. of crime films. I was thinking of movies like, uh, you know, Michael Mann movies and William Friedkin films. I know that sounds incredibly pretentious, and, and you know, you compare the Witchcraft 12, but that was my mindset. I was yeah. like, I want to do a noir movie, a detective movie, a crime film, an L.A. crime film that just happens to be a witchcraft, and that could actually be retitled, and it, would, it wouldn't even matter. So, yeah, so I did drop those characters, because I felt like I asked Jerry if he cared, and he didn't care. He didn't mind, and mm-hmm. and so we we dropped him. But Will Spanner was the only one that had to be there, and that that didn't bother me. That was actually like, you know, okay, he has to have a, a male lead, and he's kind of an interesting character. Everyone thinks he's a normal guy, but he's got these powers, and you don't find mm-hmm. out till later who you know that he's got this stuff. I mean, I I sort of approach the whole movie as if you haven't seen the other films, because I think a lot of people 
when they rent these movies, they don't want them in order, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they might, you know, they're not in sequential order and they might just pick it up because it looks interesting. They like the box or they see it online and, you know, whatever, they download it and it just looks like, you know, something they want to see. You know, I, I just want to create a new storyline. You know, there's there's 12 of these at this point by the time you came on. And I think, you know, let, let's let's be honest, they're TNA films. So I don't think that the the vast majority of the audience were really renting them for an in-depth story. No, I hope they weren't. I mean, <laughs> I, I, hope they, I hope they weren't expecting that or continuity, you know. Um, but that said, no, you're, you're right about that. And I, I would I wouldn't disagree. But that said, I did try to do something with it mm-hmm. that, you know, because I'd done a few movies for Vista Street at that point, and, you know, some of them were more my movies, and some of them were more Jerry's movies, and this was definitely more one of Jerry's movies. But I was like, well, okay, it's Jerry's movie, it's a witchcraft movie, but, you know, I'm going to try to make it as, as good as it can be with what we what we have to work with, you know. I really liked that for once, and... Out of 12 films, you have this Will Spanner character that's this warlock, but he never utilizes his powers. They keep, like, every single last movie, this guy, the evil bad guy, will say something to the effect of, oh, this Will Spanner guy, he's very impressive. But all they do is, like, then fight each other like a fist a fist fight in some broom closet or something like that. So They talk about it, yeah. They- yeah, they talk about it. And he never does anything. I, like I said, maybe it's a good thing. You know, sometimes directors say this and it annoys people. It angers fans and stuff. Like when someone does a remake of a famous horror film and they say, I've never saw the original or whatever, and it, it pisses everybody off. But, I mean, I have to be honest and say that, you know, I was not a huge fan of this series. And yeah. I was aware of them. Um, and I had seen a few of them. I remember the first one being almost like a Rosemary's Baby type. Absolutely. Okay, see, I remember that. And... And the second one, you know, this is kind of funny. I didn't see the part two. I had the poster on my wall. I didn't see part two till I, I started writing Babes in the Woods. Because of, actually I was, I was house-sitting for a friend of mine when I was writing Babes, and he had Witchcraft too. He had the DVD. And I was like, oh, I guess I better watch this to see what, <laughs> what kind of production situation I'm getting myself into with these people. And, <laughs> and it's, it's kind of ironic because, honestly, they probably still had, they had more money on Witchcraft too than we did on Babes. But it was a pretty small scale movie, and I remember there were times where people were falling out of, out of a window or something. And right. I don't. And there was some lighting toward the end. I think she was a temptress or whatever, you know, witchcraft to the temptress, and she's got some some crazy lighting going effects going on behind her. But but I don't really remember a lot in the way of special effects, action, anything like that. No. And then that was where I stopped. You know, um, like I said, besides being aware of the others and then being privy to the. The, the part 11, um, you know, I, I, was, I wasn't on the set, but I, I was very aware of the movie. Let's just put it that way. I just tried to do something that, you know, that I thought was entertaining. And, and yeah, as far as Will using his powers, I mean, I wasn't really aware that he had or hadn't used them before. I, <laughs> I, just, I just figured if he's, he's a warlock, he might want to use his powers toward the, the – Right? You figure that would, it would be a given. Well, I guess nobody else was interested in doing that. I mean, I, I just, like I said, I just, I was like, I just don't even. I, and you know, it's also funny. You'll appreciate this because this interview is about Witchcraft Twelve, after all. When I was scouting a location for Babes in the Woods, we went to a house where they actually they were shooting an adult film while we were there scouting, and there was a guy there who not connected with the, the, the adult movie that was shooting, but another guy. I don't know what he was doing there. Maybe he was looking at the house. And we started talking to him, and it turned out other witchcraft movies. Do you remember which one it was? I think his, his name was like Talon Sue or something. I think he did like five, part five or part six. That's what I think it was. It must have been part five, because I believe, I forget her name, it was a female that directed part six. Oh, probably Julie Davis. Yes. Probably Julie Davis. Yeah, there's, there's been a couple, you know, a couple of witchcraft alumni who have you know, gone on to, to do some interesting uh, other interesting movies, let's just say. But, uh, yeah, Julie Davis, yeah, she did one. I See, I never saw hers. And that, that you know, I mean, on some level, it would probably be interesting to see it just because, you know, it was directed by a woman, and, and she did go on to do other, other like, kind of like personal, like, kind of comedies, I guess. Um, yeah. So, anyway, that's kind of interesting. I mean, the, these movies are, for a lot of people, they were one of their first movies, part of their career. For me, it was not 
definitely not one of my first movies and, and, and not my last either. It was kind of like somewhere in the middle. Well, you were kind of like a hired gun on a lot of the movies you were doing at that time. On uh, Well, yes and no. I mean, when you have a, a lot of films, uh, you know, a pretty big output of films around a certain time, a lot of people assume that you're just grinding them out like, like sausages. And, and for every movie that I directed that was a that was like a you know a work for hire there were other films that i had been working to get made over a, a little while you know over a period of time some of them were like spec scripts that i pushed through uh on distributors who i'd done other movies for and you know they were kind of a they're all kind of different situations behind these movies let's put it that way mm-hmm. um, witchcraft 12 was was definitely a situation where i that i was not asked to do a part 11 to be honest with you is there what was the reason behind that what well well the reason was that ron ford i mean you know it all kind of depends on who's around and who's in with who at the time i mean and this is not a a, a, a knock on him at all he's he's made a bunch of movies too um he was just doing more stuff at the time he was in business more with jerry and with dave and i guess they just you know felt more comfortable having him do it i had only directed I had only directed a couple of movies at that time, so I was more, you know, probably just being arrogant. But it's not like I went around and said this to people, but I was definitely personally thinking, I could have directed that movie. Well, I did get to direct the 12th one, so, you know, <laughs> I sort of got my wish, you know, and then, you know but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I wasn't, I, was, I didn't have the, the resume to really to direct it at that point. You know, I don't think he'd done anything for Vista Street. I think he did some things later for them, but he didn't do anything. I don't think he'd done anything prior to that for them. I think he had he had done some other movies for this other producer. Um, the, you know, three or four of those. Sure. And that was that was and he, and he had done. God, what he, I don't remember what was around that time, but but anyway, he had, he was working. You know, he was. There were definitely things happening, and there were all these little little movies. You know, and right. This next thing you know, he's directing witchcraft. Like maybe he was just as surprised, to, you know, to get the offer as I was to get part twelve. You know, you you're just doing your thing, and then all of a sudden you get a call and say, "We want you to do the next witchcraft movie." So we we had kind of talked before about how it seemed like uh, Ron had got a, a pretty decent budget. He shot on film. He had some pretty decent special effects with makeup effects and and prosthetics and stuff like that, and then. Um, it sounded like you kind of got a little bit of the shaft on it. Did, what, do you know what the approximate budget was for your film? It was it was very low, and I wasn't told. I mean, you're never really told these things. I mean, I've right. a few movies where I've found out and almost like you know by chance, but but I didn't. I wasn't told the budget. I mean, what I was paid, what I was paid was actually pretty fair, and I thought it was you know it was fair for the time for me. Um, and, you know, and I didn't really ask about the rest of it, but especially, it's funny you mentioned the special effects in, in part 11, because the the guy who did those was someone who was, he was a friend of mine who, he literally got the job because of stuff he was doing with me mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, he, actually his name was Steve Warren, and he did, he did the effects on a movie I directed called Evil Sister 2, which were extremely impressive for what, you know, for what little we had. I mean, he really went the, the extra mile. And anyway, he did a wonderful job. People liked what he did. Ron saw it. Dave saw it, and they brought him onto Witchcraft 11. And I remember him being pretty, pretty like scared because he was like, "Oh my God, I have to do effects on this thing now, and it's a, it's a bigger budget." But he, you know, he did a good job, and people liked what he did. And so anyway, that's how the effects came about on Witchcraft 11. Yeah, they were definitely the best up to that point. Well, he he did a wonderful job on that. Sort of a trivia note, but he also played the clown in the original Camp Blood. That's right, I had heard that. For those who, yeah, and he did effects on that movie too. So those who care about uh, that type of trivia, the uh, same guy, you know. But um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I didn't feel like I got the shaft. I mean, I would have, you know, yeah, sure, I would have been nice to have been when shot on film, but. You know, Jerry, it's amazing how things can change rapidly in this business sometimes. And, you know, I think that by the time they had done, I don't know what they spent on the on part 11, but, I mean, it was it was also still a very low budget. By the time we got around to ours, Jerry just, you know, he just wasn't getting enough DVDs out there to justify spending, let's say, I don't want to say $100,000, let's say $50,000, you know. I don't know what they had on part 11 but you know it was 
It was a very low-budget 60-millimeter film, you know. Yeah, by the time they got to mine, it was we're shooting on video, and I was pretty much told that right off the bat, so... Well, were you, did you feel that budget when it came to like? Because there was a few scenes in the film where it felt like uh, you were kind of lacking some of the like the money to be able to produce extras for certain scenes. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking last night. Because there was like the the funeral scene, and then the crime scene where the coroner's on the scene, and there's no. Well, the coroner, you know, the, the funeral scene. I have to get actually. I think that came out pretty well because we just stole that. I mean, we just walked into a cemetery and just. Died. <laughs> uh, that that I mean, we we're. I was watching that last night with my wife. She's like, "You guys were pretty ballsy. You just walked right in and did that." And I'm like, "Yeah, we did." And we had an actor dressed as a priest and everything, and we just did the scene, and nobody came and kicked us out or anything, which in L.A. is pretty. Shocking, it. And then the the corner scene. I know what you're talking about. That didn't that didn't really bother me. Although I've done scenes like that in other films where I had more money and you usually want to have people milling around and witnesses and all that kind of stuff. But the scenes that that bother me in terms of the lack of extras are actually the club scenes, whether in the club and and then of course you know there's this footage that. Uh, is not from my movie that that's in the movie. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because there's definitely two separate uh, sources: film and then the video. Did you actually film club scenes? We we didn't we didn't. I mean, the stuff that that you see that with the girls that's, that's shot on film. I mean, not only is it shot on film, it was probably shot 20 years before we did our movie. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, there was you know there, there was it was very dated material that, you know, I don't know where it came from. And, and I'll state right now that, you know, I had no involvement in the editing on this movie at all. Wow. Never shown a cut of any kind. And it was passed on to the editor who also shot it, and they edited it without my involvement. And that's one of the reasons why I have reservations about the movie. But those, sure. those scenes that you're talking about, those were put in. I don't know whose idea that was. <laughs> I mean... I know Jerry and I know Jeff, and it could have been either of them, but the footage was probably from a, another Jerry movie. Sure. Well, yours isn't the first movie that they did that with in this series. There's a couple of them. Number nine was like that. It's this. It's a mentality that 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 Vista Street had that that I had to push very hard on. I mean, it didn't happen on Bays in the Woods or Mad Jack, but. It did happen on Lord of the Vampires, and and it, you know, and that was that really shouldn't happen because that was a co-production, and you know, with an outside investor, a majority outside investor, not major stuff, but you know, establishing shots and just things that they're just I didn't shoot those things, and I don't want them in my film, and 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 so you know, when I finally saw the movie, I think I went down to Vista Street's office to meet with Jerry about something, and he's like, oh, by the way, your movie's done, and you know, <laughs> screener, here's a screener cassette, you know, and so I took it home and. Watch, and it's horrifying, you know, and you watch it and you're right. like, you know, it's not like the movie's just editorially atrocious from start to finish, but, but those, those shots, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like I was, you know, we were talking about last night, I was basically, what would have been nice is if we could have just had extras there and we could have just opened up those scenes more. And then we would have, yeah. I mean, look, if we had, let's, let's say one more day and a little bit more money to pay the girls, we could have got even, if you want to have stripping or you want to have something like that going on, which wasn't supposed to be a strip club, but anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't. I mean, I didn't write it as a strip club. It was just a club. It was like a, a bar. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. No, I didn't write it that way at all. And they turned it into a strip club in, in Pose, a strip club from 1992. You know, <laughs> looking at the girls, I mean, you look at the girls' underwear, you know, and it's like right. these fashion you know right and their hair is still kind of poofy oh and... the hair they got the frizzy hair they get the curls you know they i mean it's just you know it's 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 ridiculous and and also what's even more ridiculous is that not only is that footage not from my film it's repeated like it's you know it's it's, it's like how much more insulting can this be you know uh you know to to do that but but look i will tell you when i made this movie I had made three movies for this. I knew what kind of company they were, and I knew what kind of movies they made, and I knew how they treated directors, and I knew how they treated movies in post. So I wasn't really shocked, you know. Uh, you know, I didn't have a, an, you know, a, an epileptic fit when I saw this. I just was like, okay, that's what I figured you guys would probably do with that. Yeah. You know? It didn't really blow my mind, but 
but it's also one of the reasons I hadn't watched the movie in 10 years. It had to hurt you when you, you start watching, all of a sudden there's this atrocious-looking title card that pops up on the screen. Oh, man. Well, okay. It's rough. If you want to go there, yeah, rough. Yeah, exactly. It is rough. And if you want to go there, I mean, I'm... I mean, it's it's one of these movies, and this happens a lot with low budget sometimes. It's almost like the, the everything that we shot is, I think, passable. It's it's a lot of times what these guys did to it in post. They just totally screwed this thing, and and I would put in, I would include in that the footage from other films. I would include the title cards. I would include the visual effects. I would include the music score, which I hate. You know, all of the above. Because this is what happens when directors are left out of the process, and some people come in and they just do what whatever they think is best. And and uh, and it's not even about money here. I'll be honest with you, because there are a lot of talented people living in Los Angeles. All this stuff. Yeah. The, the people who made this movie, who produced this movie, didn't care to to find those people. They just got the easiest, cheapest, whatever, and you know, they just let them loose on it. So, so yeah, <laughs> you know that's that's the thing. No, the title card, yeah, I don't like the title card. I don't like the fonts. I don't like the, you know, the music. Uh, you know, I, I hate that music. And I am a, a filmmaker who is extremely music oriented. I mean, I've I've been told by composers I have bigger soundtrack collections than a lot of composers do. I love film music. What makes your movie? I mean, you should care about that kind you of thing. You should, but some people, you know, some people don't. And one of the things that, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but what I think happened with witchcraft, uh, you know, is, is that the music was probably what you call library music. Of course. You know, it was not composed. And I've had, I've had that happen on a number of movies that, once again, I was not involved in the post, and, and that's what happened. But the films that I'm really happy with, uh, that I stand behind as a director, are the ones that, you know, one of the re- one of the things that I, the reasons I stand behind them is because I've been able to get a composer involved and work with them, and you know, and do a score. You know, to me yeah. that's just like so. I mean, it's so important. So yeah. that's one of the things I really don't like about the movie. And and not only is the music bland, it's just like you know, there's no themes, there's no anything. It's just kind of like whatever they felt like dropping in at the moment. You know, it's almost like a blind man was you know pushing buttons like. <laughs> Track two, track seven, you know, you know, just drop it in. So it's 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 kind of that that's some aspect of it I find very unforgivable. And then the mix too. Let's if we're talking about post. Oh wow, the, yeah, the sound is pretty rough in some spots. Yeah, and, and you know what's funny though? It's like the sound, the sound recording itself was probably never the best, but by ladling that music over at a higher level, you're you're struggling to hear the dialogue sometimes. Yeah. So that's you know that's another thing that that really bothered me about it. Needless to say, so it's all these things in post that I mean, literally the last and that was the last movie I made for this. By the way, um, you know I it was like Lord of the Vampires. I fought real hard to preserve something that ended up basically getting ruined and in post. And so by the time I got to this movie, it was more like I'm going to do this movie. I'm going to direct it. You know, I'm going to be professional about it, but. I'm I'm not going to be surprised if they wreck it in the editing, and uh, you know, and they did. <laughs> That's got to be so disheartening because myself, I'm I'm an editor by trade. That's what I do. So when I when I watch these kind of movies or watch any movie in general, I'm always looking straight to the post and looking at the the edit, how it plays, all the different factors. And there's just like there's a few of these scenes where you can just tell. That, you know, if if it were given the little care that they would have played a little bit better, like there's that one sequence where uh, Will uh, ends up, they're on like a stakeout where he's trying to catch the, the girls, you know, doing their thing. And there's a standoff where the girl has a, a board hmm. where she's trying to ward him off. And I know exactly what you're, that was painful. I was, I said this to my wife last night, I watching them, I said, that was painful to shoot. And she's like, Why? And and I said because the girl couldn't do the action. She wasn't selling it. She couldn't sell it, and it was like I mean I don't want to you know I don't want to be mean here, but like you know she just wasn't getting it, and and you know it was in the script. I mean I and by the way I never I never do anything differently than what's in my screenplays. 
When, I, when actors sign on for my movies, everything that we're going to do is in the script. I don't come up with things on the fly. Hey, let's do a scene where you swing a stick at somebody and they shoot you. And no, it was it was there. So when we, yeah, I don't know what was wrong with you know what was the problem. She just couldn't get it. But then, like you said, in the editing, it could have been improved. Yeah, it could have just been tightened a little bit. That's all. Exactly, it could have been tightened. That's what should have happened. And. Yeah, I even noticed, the, I mean, this is getting really detailed, but I even noticed a sound effect that was, like, on a loop that kept looping even after she yes. went like, down on the ground. Yes. And boy, did that annoy me, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's like, dude, turn off the loop, you know? But to, to your, like, what you had said before, it's just another symptom of this, let's, we're just trying to crank a movie out real quick. So in, in editorial, they just kind of, oh, I guess we're done. We can't really be bothered with fixing yeah, that. Yeah, it's very frustrating. And no, that scene should have been tightened. It could have been. I mean, we have the coverage. It just, it just, you know. And look, I wish, I wish that, you know, at the end of the day, I guess I could say I wish it was better directed. You know, but. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, no, I'll say that because I mean, you don't want to put all the, you know, you can't just put all the blame on everybody all the time. But I will say that we tried hard to get her to do the action. We had probably like, you know, five more scenes to shoot that night, and it was probably, and and you know, we did it. And we got the coverage, but then in the editing, it was it was botched. It was just too fat. It was just allowed to just just lay there. I do like the moment where she blows her own brains out. I, I kind of thought that came across pretty well. But but prior to that, because it's kind of shocking. But prior to that, yeah, the scene with the stick. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> not a fan. Not a fan. I will also say, since so we're talking about the editing so much here, is and this might be a first for a witchcraft movie because they're usually padded, you know, beyond, beyond belief. Um, there were scenes I shot that are that are not in the movie. There, there literally could be deleted scenes. Like if you did a, a, a deluxe edition of this, which I don't think that's going to happen, but <laughs> there were scenes that we shot that were not in the movie. And one of them was even a sex scene that was huh. not in the film. Yeah, I, I did a scene between um, Janet, the, the lead actress, and, and Chip, the little spanner. It was actually like a very naturalistic sex scene. It wasn't like this bump and grind, you know, lighting and all this kind of stuff. It was actually very realistically done, handheld, and of course, probably was too naturalistic for for Jerry, so he just cut the scene out. Yeah, I was I was kind of surprised like Jerry Pfeiffer cut a sex scene out of a movie, you know, that's of all the things. Yeah, of all the things. And then there was another scene that more of an expository and it was with a girl that it was a detective, you know, kind of questioning a witness and um it was it was actually a cool little scene, you know. Once again, it was kind of like uh, if you've ever seen To Live and Die in L.A., which is yes. one of my favorite movies of all time. It was kind of like one of those scenes in that where you know where William Peterson is questioning somebody, or you know, just it was just a cool little edgy character thing. And well, hey, well, this is a witchcraft movie. We don't need that, so you know they cut that out. So I have a few deleted scenes there too, you know, which is kind of I think it's probably unusual in the history of the films because usually they're stretched out. You know, they usually are padding the footage, and you know they had plenty of time to pad that footage in the club. You know, it's from 1992, but they didn't want—they didn't with a girl spraying, you know, uh, whipped cream on her boobs. But but they didn't want the—they uh, didn't want the scenes that actually like advance the story or the character. Sure. Well, that's a lot of the problem with any of those films is the fact that it's hard to get into the story of any of these films because they have to have a sex scene every five to ten minutes that grinds that story to a halt. It's it's so hard to write that um, because you keep trying to motivate it. You know, like, like, I think, you know, if you think about witchcraft, for me, as a writer, I was thinking, well, okay, you know, there's going to be a cult of girls who are like seducing these guys, and then they're getting and they're vulnerable, and then they get killed by the by the, the killer. So okay, that provides you know a bunch of sex scenes, and then you think about the lead uh, girl, and maybe there could be a romance between her and Will Spanner, so that provides your kind of like the rest of them. Um, but it but it's still you know awkward, you know sometimes right. it's very awkward to uh, in the flow of the script and the flow of the. The film. Yeah, I think I agree. It's kind of if you you were to take it back to like how the old fifties and sixties exploitation films were, or like, or like Herschel Gordon Lewis's movies, where they were barely over sixty to seventy minutes. I think these films would have been perfect like that. I I agree with you, and I like I had a movie. I did a movie called Demon's Kiss. I directed this movie called Demon's Kiss that was kind of like my take on Cat People, and it came out a lot, came out a lot better. And 
and actually when the movie was released in the U.S., so they had to get an R rating, and some of the sex scenes were, were trimmed for the R-rated release, which was like the commercial release of the movie. I was thrilled because that means the pace of the movie is actually going to hold up. I mean, you're still going to have the sex scenes and the nudity, which frankly, okay, I know people who rent it, they want to see that, and it's there, but it's not as, as long. It's like maybe cut by half or something per scene. And I think that witchcraft would have, or maybe all of them, I don't know, would, you know, would have benefited from that type of a judicious trimming. Cause mm-hmm. the, you know, the whole movie would move along, and you know, sometimes I'm watching these scenes and I go, they're, they're like using every second of footage we shot. <laughs> they're almost using, they're almost using like the dailies. I mean, like it's, it's so much footage. You know what I mean? It keeps going and going, and you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know, but you know, whatever. I'm not, you know. I know I know the idea behind these. I know the purpose. Of them. When you when you sit down to write a film, you know if you're in, if any kind of seriousness, you know you try to just make a, a good movie, and you know it, it, these things are kind of working against that sometimes. So well, I got to be honest, Brad. Of the twelve movies, yours, Ron's, and there was one more that I thought they were actually very watchable and very well done. I mean, for what they were. Um, I especially seeing how yours was mostly shot on on uh, video, which I think a lot of people that's that's a hard hurdle across. Um, I I've always been a shot on video fan from way back, so that never bothered me too much. But uh, did you ever after it was it came out? Did you ever end up hearing any feedback uh, here or there about the film? I've, heard, I've, I've I mean I've read some online reviews. You know, um, I never heard anybody that. Said, and it seems like the people that liked it or, or didn't like it, it wasn't because of the, of the format we shot on. I mean, they, they you know, uh, they were more just judging it as a movie, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but you're right. I mean, it is it is daunting. And, and Well, not daunting. It's, it's frankly irritating to go into a series, a franchise, and, and all of a sudden, you know, a franchise that's been shot on probably the first movie may have been shot on 35, for all I know, maybe some mm-hmm. of the other ones, too. And now you're shooting on Betacam. You feel like you're just going to be like judged as like the poor cousin of the of the you know poor relation franchise. And it's like no, these are the same people that made all the all of these movies. Are the same company anyway, and they just this is what they decided to do with my movie. It's too bad because you had a lot of ambition behind your like for for a shot on video film. You had a lot of locations, a lot of setups. The cameras constantly moving. <laughs> I was noticing that. I was like, this is kind of crazy. Like. Because there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of locations. Um, there's there's, day, there's night exteriors. There's um, you know there's there's a lot there's a lot of supporting characters. You know all these girls and the guys that they kill and other characters that pop in and out and uh, it has somewhat of a pace. I mean the, the scenes are fairly short. You know from one scene to another and um, you know yeah. I mean I tried and uh, I don't know if you'll recognize this shot or not, but there's a shot where the two guys are meeting up. The detective and Will are meeting up to like do a uh, uh, he's giving him a headphone he's giving him like a, yep. a hidden microphone and we shot that actually we shot it in Vista Street's parking lot they they were on like the second floor of this of this office building and there was like a ramp that went up to this parking lot that actually overlooked one of the freeways here probably the maybe the four or five or the ten I don't know but it was nighttime remember when we filmed that I was looking at it and just the two guys standing there and I'm like this kind of exemplifies what I'm trying to do with this movie, um, at least in terms of the style. You know, it's 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 like, you know, the freeway in the back, and there's kind of like a nice depth of field, and the cars are going by in the background all, like, you know, out of focus, and they're standing there. And, and I remember when we filmed that scene, I told the DP, I said, let it play long. I'm going to get close-ups for your sound, but they're not going to be usable as close-ups because I don't want this. I don't want close-ups in this. Right, you're just going to get wild. You're just going to get wild track. Yeah, literally. You you will not be able to use these close-ups. I, I intentionally did that because I knew that if I didn't, this is going to go back to like John Ford time, but, you know, I knew <laughs> that if I didn't, you know, uh, do it that way, that they would just cut to the close-ups. They'd just ruin it. Yeah. So I, um, I, I'm very proud of that shot, and I think it kind of exemplifies what I was trying to do with the movie for the whole the whole time. And maybe that didn't come through all the time. Uh in that moment, it did. Well, it definitely. I noticed it right away. Like I, I shoot. I've, I've, I shoot a lot of coverage. I mean, and you know, I probably for for the. I mean, because I will tell you right now, we shot the movie in six days. Probably for that type of schedule, I was shooting. You know, I was overshooting or whatever. But uh, you know, um, 
I think I learned by that point, you know, I, like I said, I'd done a few movies for Vista Street, and Jerry was always very intent on getting the coverage for the sex scenes, and I'm like, okay, you know, and I did that. And, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to get the coverage for the sex scenes, but I'm also going to get the coverage for everything else, and, you know, give this movie some... And I, I tried to do some handheld stuff, which is actually not easy with a beta cam. It's kind of clunky and awkward and held for certain scenes, and, you know, I, I, we did some, some... Some of the colored lighting and stuff like that, that's more the DP's thing. I didn't really... I, I would credit him with that. I, I wasn't really my idea. Um, there was a lot of blue in it. Yeah, a lot of blue. I think we were probably just like, you know, I'll tell you where we shot that movie. A lot of where we shot was in this rehearsal space, like where bands come to rehearse. Sure. And and I've shot a couple of movies in the same location. And and trying to do what you can, you know, with set dressing and, and lighting and everything to make it more interesting. So we just yeah the colored the colored gels and all that kind of stuff. I mean the one of the walls was actually red, which was kind of cool. So that sort of provided its own color. But yeah, then we did bring a lot of blue in, and um, there's some stuff I like in it. I mean I, I'll be honest, there are and I'm talking about the photography and every, I, there are some things I like in it. Yeah, yeah, we had six days to do that, you know. So that's impressive. I mean, sixty. I've I've been involved with a with a feature film that shot in six days, and that, those are some twenty hour days. And you're these weren't twenty hour days. These were probably like fourteen hour days. It was not a difficult shoot, actually. Like it wasn't like we had any actors that were really difficult, um, uh, you know, or anything. Nothing like just went horribly wrong, you know, or making the movie, but. Uh, yeah, I think our hours were like probably around 14, you know. That 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 was sort of standard for for what we were doing because when you do 20-hour days, everyone just gets so tired and then you also have to mm-hmm. put in a call and then it's hard to maintain your production schedule when you keep doing that, you know. So right. Maybe the last day you can do a 20-hour day if you really have a bunch of stuff that you have to get done, but uh and I've had movies like that too, but this one was more it was actually pretty controlled, and I don't remember going back to do any like additional photography or second unit or anything like that. We just we did it all in six days. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, I had done I a few of them. I'd done a few by that point. I mean, I'd done movies on film in those type of schedules, um, where obviously you have more crew, you have more things to deal with, with changing the mags and loading the film, and you know, rack focusing and dolly, all this stuff you deal with with film. And I'd done those in, in short schedules, so. So this wasn't terribly difficult for me, actually. So I'm sure, I'm sure at that point you probably had a crew of guys that you were familiar with. There were, you know, I wish there was more crew than you. I mean, there was very few people on that set. You know, I mean, you know, it was me, the DP, who was also kind of doing all of his own lighting, and then maybe a PA or two, uh, and we had effects person who worked. They didn't work that much. I mean, they mainly did the. Uh, makeup at the end with the creature or the you know the snake man um you know but but no i didn't have a lot a whole ton of production support you know it was a lot of <laughs> which is kind of par for the course with the the movies i was doing for that particular producer at the time i mean you know you're you're really on your own and and you're bringing you know you're bringing prom I mean, why had a, like i said i had a person who is their credit as an associate producer, and they they helped with a lot of the props and the set dressing and and things like that, you know. But um, you know, it was I was wrangling a lot of things on that movie too, you know. Um, uh, but I know how that just is. Just directing the movie, you know. You think that would be enough, but <laughs> with these type of movies, it's never enough. <laughs> yeah. So I have one last question, and it's kind of getting back to more of. Uh, like something that happened in the film. So Will Spanner has these powers, but he drinks a potion in order to have some clairvoyance or a psychic ability. What is he exactly drinking? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> no, you know what? I I don't know. I mean, I don't like, or at least I don't know now in 2014, you know? Right. I mean, maybe I had some kind of an idea about it back then, but um, I don't know. I just, I think I was just trying to, I think with that scene, what I was trying to do was just show that this guy, I think it was the first time you see him doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. Before you see him shooting lightning bolts out of his hands or, or any of that <laughs> stuff. By the way, that was the first movie I ever did where I dealt with visual effects. And so it was kind of funny, you know, to, to shoot some of these scenes without, you know, obviously without the effects supply with people tumbling through, you know, they kind of have to force themselves to tumble through doorways and things like that. And it, it looks ridiculous when you're shooting it. 
and then, you know, later on the effects were put in and, and all that. But, uh, uh, yeah, the potion that he drinks, I don't know. You know, I think I still have that bottle, though. I have the snake necklace, too, that the girls are wearing. In fact, you'll find this funny. There's, like, I think, what, four or five girls in the movie? They're all wearing this necklace? Well, guess what? There was only one necklace. You're never going to see two girls in the shot wearing the necklace because we only had one. But I kept it at the end of the – I found that, like, in a store on Hollywood Boulevard, just some – like thrift store or something, and and it was like this is perfect, you know. Um, and I painted the flag myself too. The flag that you see, it's like a serpent flag. Like I painted that on the floor of the garage in my my, my building, you know. I I did that. So that's the I, that's the kind of thing I I was doing on the movie. I wasn't just just directing it. I was shopping for for props and painting uh, flags and and stuff like. But you know, I, I I have to say I kind of enjoy that on some level. It's it's kind of like you feel like you're putting more of yourself into the movie. So anyway, I don't mind doing that stuff. It's kind of fun. It's kind of a fun, it's kind of a good feeling when, you, when you're when you doing it. I mean, I, I like working with department heads too, but but uh, uh, I think I, you know, I tend to enjoy stuff like that. So, yeah, but I couldn't tell you what was in that bottle. I, I Only Will Spanner knows, I guess, you know. Well, I suppose we could we could leave it up to him, or do we want to come up with what that possibly could be? that he's drinking i think i think people should submit you know uh submit you know to your to your website or something they should submit answers you know guesses <laughs> to that. i like to see how many people have seen the movie too because it's, you know, i don't yeah. know how many people have seen it. it it wasn't distributed as well as it, as it should have been given that it's part of a franchise that's been going since 1989 well you know what brad i think that it's been included in a lot of these like Echo Bridge, uh, five dollar like twenty film packs. Right, it's in a it's in a pack. I have one pack here that I got like in I don't know when I got it, maybe five years ago. That that I think Mill Creek or Echo Bridge or somebody put out that that had it. They had that and another one of my films too. Actually, it was like I think I had like two movies I did for Vista Street were in this pack called like Witches and Demons or something like that. Um, and look, you know what? If more people see it, that and probably that is how people are going to see it. Honestly, um, it's great. You know, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I don't mind these 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 multi-pack things sometimes because they lump all these things together and then people pick them up and you know, uh, you know, Kmart or whatever, and it gives them a chance to see the movie. So anyway, I buy those things. I mean, I'm you know, in fact, sometimes I'll pick them up for like the other, you know, I see what movies. Oh, it's got this, this, and this, and then like I'll I'll go to the cash register and realize it's got one of my own movies in it too. You know, I didn't even know till I looked at the whole thing and there were like 20 movies in there. You know, but um, you know, it's. Uh, Whatever gets in front of people. I suppose. I'm What I'm shocked by is that they haven't put together all these witchcraft films on one of those things. Well, you know, it's funny. Fangoria, okay, I'll t- well, I'll tell you why. There's, I'm sure there's rights issues. I mean, I remember Fangoria wrote a like a one-page article about the witchcraft. And of course, they were slamming them. and But they were making a joke at the end like, oh, maybe, you know, till then we'll wait till the box set comes out. Well, that ain't ever going to happen. I mean, those movies, maybe they're technically all owned by Vista Street, by Jerry Pfeiffer. But they've been licensed to so many different companies. I mean, I know Troma has some of them, and uh, some of the other ones. I, I mean, I know he still holds on. He still retains probably the last three or four. Um, and then, like, the last one, they did the 13 or whatever. That was that came out through York, or somebody else put that out. So th- let's just put it this way. Between all those movies, they are scattered among many uh, distributors, and, and who knows what deals these people what ownership these people have you know um and jerry wouldn't you know he, he's the kind of person that he probably wouldn't care even if he could easily get all the rights back somehow like say they were just con- contracts expired with all these different companies or whatever he still wouldn't bother to do something like that um any more than he would bother to do extras on a dvd you know i had four movies released by him and i don't have i was never asked to do a commentary or provide any kind of extras for any of them so you know, these these films are not really, uh, and I don't think Ron was either on Part 11, for that matter. You know, I mean, I, I think that they're just kind of, they just put them out on DVD, and and you're not, um, as a director, you're not really part of that process. You you find out about it, like, later on, and, you know. That's too bad. Well, let's let's go ahead and put that behind us, Brad, and let's yeah, go oh, ahead. I have. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, you're the only, I think you're the first person who's talked to me really exclusively about that movie. I mean, I've I've done interviews before, and it, it's probably come up in interviews, but I've never talked about it in depth this way with anybody, 
um, you're the first person to ask me all these questions about the movies. Welcome back. I hope you guys really dug that one because it was actually an almost three hour interview that I caught up just so we could keep the focus of this episode on the witchcraft series. So tune in on a future episode of Astro Radio Z so you can hear the rest of that interview where Brad and I discuss his new shot on video horror anthology, High Eight. You know, if you're an Astro Radio Z listener, how excited I am for that film. So please stick around and tune in on a future episode of Astro Radio Z for more Brad Sykes talking about High 8. Another thing I wanted to talk about is I wanted to thank you guys for the overwhelming positive feedback on the DNT episode. Um, it was something that um, Tam and I thought was really fun. And you guys obviously felt the same way. So you asked for it. You're going to get more D&T in the next few weeks. So I hope you guys are ready for what you requested. Because <laughs> we got a doozy of one coming up in the future. But of course, look out for the Brad Sykes interview coming up. And then the final witchcraft episode. So from Derek Carey and Astro Radio Z, see you next time. Mm-hmm.